Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracedeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Today we get to continue in the unshakable sermon series. And what this series has been about is talking about the different things that help us to establish and live an unshakable life. This comes out of the scripture about building on the rock instead of on the sand. How do we build our lives as followers of Jesus, as disciples of him, on principles that are unshakable? And as the storms come, not if, as, the storms come and challenges come our way and the floodwaters come, that we will remain in Christ and not be swept away. Amen? So that's what this series is about, and today we're going to talk about unshakable generosity. It's like, oh, great, pastor's going to talk about generosity. Spoiler alert, generosity is about much more than a bank account, but I do want to say this, a message like unshakable generosity is not something that you write in a week. This is not a sermon that I just really studied hard and read a lot of books to give you some sort of intellectual message about today. This is a message that by the grace of God and his provision in my life has been written over my lifetime. It's been written through living as well as I can any given day a life of faithful obedience in following Jesus. And because of that, I get to see his faithfulness in the fruit of living a life of generosity um, with the various resources that the Lord entrusts to us. And so I just want to set that as a foundation. This isn't some intellectual head knowledge message. This is from tangibly living out what it looks like, as best as any human can, to be generous and open-handed with what God entrusts to us. And uh, he writes this story in this message in our hearts. Amen. Um, it's hard to enter into talking about the concept of generosity if we don't acknowledge the reality of the world we live in. And we live in a world of what if. Well, what if I could have this? What if this were my reality? If only I could have as much income or as many things or as much time as that person. And we always tend in our society these days to put ourselves in this sphere of relativity to what everybody else has, does, or doesn't have. Now, social media and all this stuff doesn't help because we always see everybody else's best. We see their highlight reel in the midst of being confronted with our backstage. The reality of the hardships and struggles in life is what we tend to see of our own life. And then we see everybody else's highlight reel every time we pick up the computer in our pockets, right? And it's really easy to get sucked into this, if I only had this, if I was only smarter, if I only made more money, if I only had a better job, if I only had more time, if I only had a bigger house, if I only, if I only, if I only, instead of being content with what's been entrusted to us and focusing on our stewardship rather than our perceived lack. And that framework will help us to enter into what I believe is the heart of God in the area of generosity this morning, not the heart of our world in the area of generosity. Amen. 
It's not about our perceived lack. It's about what we do with what God has entrusted to us. Now, the advertisements won't tell you to think that way. Likely your neighbors or your coworkers won't tell you to think about it that way. But the scripture does. And if you're in here today and you say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is King. He is who I orient my life, my rhythms, and my priorities around. Then that is, in fact, what prevails as the way that we view these things. And so I just wanted to get that out of the way right off the bat. The scripture we're going to be in today takes place as Jesus is having his final conversations with folks. It comes out of Matthew 25, and this is like the chapter before we start reading about Judas betraying him, and he's giving all his final words and talking about uh, the, the final judgment and all of those things that are happening, and Jesus is having several final important conversations with his disciples, with the crowds that are following him, with those that are important to him. And he also has this conversation in the book of Luke. He teaches this parable, but in Luke, it's to a crowd. And here, this parable is taught simply just to his disciples. As far as we know, it's just the 12. It's this intimate conversation where he's with these guys that have been walking with him since he called them some three years previous, and he's preparing them to live through what's about to happen to him. And after that, and to carry out and continue what he's been teaching them. This is an intimate setting. It's those important kind of final days, conversations. And in order, I believe, to read this appropriately, we need to understand kind of the headspace and the, the gravity of the moment that this parable was taught in, that this conversation was had in. Jesus is about to be murdered. He's about to go through this humiliating crucifixion to pay the price for the sin of humanity to get us to where we have once again access to our creator. And these are the final things that he's imparting to his disciples. Like these aren't just little quips or memes or gifts that you text somebody. Like this is weighty, important stuff. And so if Jesus considers it important enough to have these conversations in his final days with his disciples before he's murdered, should we possibly pay like a lot of attention to it? This, this matters. This is important for us to really take to heart. <clears throat> I had the opportunity recently to be with my grandfather a couple days before he passed. And in those moments, because of the discomfort and the sadness, and all of the emotions that are surrounding those times. This was three days-ish before he finally passed, and we knew that it was coming. It would be way easier, given my insecurities and my propensity to use humor to alleviate stressful emotional moments, to just like banter back and forth with my pseudo-responsive grandfather and just try to have a good time and help him not focus on the fact that he was on his way to the deathbed. But in that moment, I knew there were some important conversations that needed to be had. I wanted to make sure that he knew how much I loved him, the impact he had on my life, how important him and my grandmother were to me in my development as a young man and in helping me to establish character, 
hard work ethic, those sorts of things. And I also wanted to make sure that he was right with Jesus so that I would see him again when the Lord took me home. Now, those are the type of conversations you have in final moments, right? Like there's a gravity to this. And so I share this not to be like, oh, poor Pastor Chris, his grandfather died. No, like this is an illustration of final moments, the gravity and the importance and urgency of these conversations. And this is what we are entering into here in the book of Matthew in chapter 25. So I pray that we would read this scripture together in light of understanding the gravity of the moment and see what Jesus would have us take from this. Amen. Matthew 25, we're going to be starting in verse 14. Now he's teaching his disciples, as I mentioned, in the form of a parable, and this is how it starts. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, not like the next day, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the story changes a little bit. It says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the ta- so he took the talent from him, gave it to him who had the 10 talents. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the final judgment. So I pray that God would reveal to us why this is so important for him to share with his disciples in his final conversations and what it means to us. So Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would bring life and application from your word this morning. God, would you impart like only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit into each of us what you have for us through this message this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the context of community, of spiritual family to receive it in. And we pray that you would do miracles in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So the big idea of this message coming out of this text is that the unshakable life 
stewards God's provision well in order to live a life of generosity. Now, if you're anything like me, you read this and you're like, what in the heck is a talent? I remember the first time I ever read this parable. I'm like, man, dude got five talents? Like, that's cool. Like, what, he played guitar, he played drums. He like, you, you think of talents as like a skill set or something that you have that you can use to accomplish something. But a talent in the New Testament was 6,000 denarii. And a denarius was one day's wages. So a talent was 6,000 days wages, which equates to about 20 years of labor giving, given a six-day work week because they wouldn't work the Sabbath. They would work six days at this point in time. 20 years of labor, one talent. So you take that and you figure like, man, that's 20 years of wages. That's 100 years of wages. Like you... You multiply that, like, that's a lot of money. This isn't just like, well, here's son, here's a quarter, you know, go, go take care of this. Like, this is a lot of money. The 2020 census determined that the median individual income in the United States for those over 15 who worked year-round was approximately $56,000. Now, you guys are smart. You know that that differs depending on region and all that. This is just 2020 census here. So a talent would have been about 1.12 million in our money today. It's a decent amount of money. I find it helpful to put this stuff into perspective because when I'm talking about like measurements and, and amounts of money that I don't understand, it's hard to feel the weight of what we're talking about here. I don't know about you guys, but if some dude came up to me and was like, hey, here's $1.12 million, like steward it well, and like, I don't know the guy, maybe I'm fearful, maybe I'm not used to having that kind of resources entrusted to me. Like, I can kind of understand why dude might bury that and make sure that it's taken care of and because he doesn't want a powerful man to be frustrated with him for squandering what he has entrusted to him. A few things of note out of this is we need to acknowledge also not just how much money this was, but that the master entrusted unequal amounts of his resources to these servants. It wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to give you each the same amount and see what you do. Like there is an unequal amount being entrusted to each of these servants. Yet despite having unequal amounts, the master expected the same stewardship from all three servants. So he didn't expect the same like end results. He's not saying, hey, I give you five talents, I give you one. I expect you to give me the same amount when I come back but he is expecting the same level of faithful stewardship over those amounts. And to steward God's provision well means having the right perspective, it means being faithful, and it means expecting miraculous to happen with what you have. As you steward things in the name of the Lord, you can expect miracles and things that are unexplained to happen because that's how God works. And so today, as we consider this parable and what it means for us to live a lifestyle of generosity, to build an unshakable life that stewards the resources God has entrusted to us well, we're going to talk about these three things. Having the right perspective, being faithful, and expecting the miraculous with what you have. So the right perspective. What on earth is the right perspective when it comes to stewarding the resources that have been 
entrusted to us. Our perspective regarding stewardship is shaped by this parable. We are managers or stewards of what's been given to us. We are not the owners. And so many times we view our resources, our time, our money, our home, our stuff, the things that we have, the things that we are responsible for, we view it as owners rather than stewards or managers of it. And when you view it as an owner, you put yourself in the hero seat rather than Jesus, rather than him and his provision. We are not owners. We are simply managers or stewards over what he has entrusted to us and what ultimately belongs to him. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything is God's. He created it. It's his. He owns it. He's in charge. That's what it means when he's king, when he has lordship in your life. We simply get to manage or steward it. Now, as stewards, we still do have authority and responsibility over his resources. And this is where it can get a little tricky because I don't know about you guys, but when I first think about, oh, it's not mine. Gosh, that relieves a lot of pressure. Yes, pressure for ultimate provision, yet we have authority and responsibility to steward well. And aside from his empowerment and him working in us and us seeking him for how we are to utilize what he's entrusted to us, like there's, there's a, there is a little bit of pressure that comes along with that. But not pressure to figure it out on our own, pressure to listen to him, know his heart, his character, and operate in a way that reflects that, Amen. We still have authority and responsibility over those resources. Now it says, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We have a responsibility towards God with everything pertaining to our lives. When we talk about being generous, that doesn't just mean giving a bunch of money. There are so many things that we hold on to white knuckled that it is a fight for us to be generous with. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it can be way easier to be generous with finances than time. I think time is like the new money, you know, pink's the new black, like time is the new money, right? Like these, these things shifting and changing. Time, people, it, it is a God. It can be a golden calf in our lives and the way we view how we interact with the world. We have a responsibility to God with everything pertaining to our lives. And just like this master came back after some time and wanted them to give account, he will ask us to give account of how we have used our lives to further his kingdom with our time, with our money, with our stuff, with our work ethic, with our families, with how we disciple those God has entrusted relationally to us. We will account for it. And before you let your mind go there, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect all the time. It just means that you are quick to recognize when you are straying from God's plan and being obedient to him and you repent and you just keep trying to take a step closer to him and his heart in these areas every day. Nobody in this room has done all this perfect because nobody is capable of it except Jesus. But we recognize that and we humbly come before him asking him for direction to motivate our hearts, to shape our character and integrity in how we deal with our resources. And that is what we get to give account for. Amen.
many don't like this feeling of being responsible and accountable to God for anything. Many don't like the feeling of being responsible or accountable for anything to anybody. Like if we're honest with ourselves, like, I just want to do me and, you know, everybody else can mind their own business. Like, that can so often be this individualistic view of how we relate with the world. But the reality is God entrusts things, finances, time, relationships, neighborhoods, cities with his people, and we will give account for that. We do have an opportunity to advance his kingdom through what we have responsibility for. I found for me that the only reason I resist accountability is when I'm resisting honesty. Like, accountability is not bad news if I'm being honest. If I'm being real with the condition of my heart and how I am stewarding or utilizing the things entrusted to me, like, sure, accountability, yeah, absolutely. Here's, here's a spreadsheet. <laughs> Here it all is. I come into end-of-year board meetings where we give accountability for all the finances of the church, staying on budget, all of this kind of stuff. And if I've made sure that I'm communicating well and I'm staying within the parameters that have been set by our board and all that kind of stuff, I don't have to come in being anxious, like, you know, doing this with my hands, like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen? What's the board going to say? They're like, oh, all right, good job. Thank you for your stewardship of that. Now let's move forward and talk about how we're going to impact the kingdom of God this year. But if there's anything shady going on, which this isn't a confession, this is an illustration, if there happened to be anything shady happening in that, I'd be like, man, I hope they don't look at line 37 on the second page of that spreadsheet. Like, you go into these moments where you're giving account, where there is accountability with a different heart if you're trying to hide something or you're not being honest. So ask yourself next time you're fearing accountability, is it because there's a lack of honesty and responsibility with the stewardship God's given you? Allow yourself to come humbly into those moments and search yourself and your heart rather than just resisting leadership and accountability of God in your life all together. If I'm being honest, if I'm stewarding things well, accountability is good news. And it's confirmation of the path and the stewardship of the resources entrusted to you. It's, it can be confirmation of that. If honesty is a struggle for you, so will be giving account to the way in which you steward the resources in your life. And so it will rise up fear in you about giving an account to God for how you've engaged in furthering His kingdom. Be honest. Steward it well. And that won't be an issue. <clears throat> if invested appropriately, there is nothing to be concerned about with how we steward the resources. It's about perspective. It's about us being a part of the story of what God is doing in this world to see his kids come back to him. It's about the right perspective. The second thing is also, it's about being faithful. How do we be faithful? So we have a perspective. We kind of know bigger picture what this is supposed to look like. We understand whose resources these are in the first place. What about being faithful? The scripture that we read said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little and I will set you over much. For to everyone who has been given, more will be given and he will have abundance. 
This is what this scripture says in response to the servant who was faithful in stewarding what God gave to them. The master's identical praise of both of the servants that stewarded these resources well shows that what was important was not the total amount gained, not that one gained five and one gained two talents, but the faithfulness of making the most of the abilities and the potential that was entrusted to them. He didn't give any more praise to the one who took five and made five than the one who took two talents and made two. He gave identical praise. It's not about how much you make out of it. It's about doing something with the abilities and the potential that God has entrusted to you. Will you bury it out of fear or will you multiply it out of faithfulness? Again, will you bury it out of fear or will you multiply what God's entrusted to you out of faithfulness to Him? In the context of this parable, faithfulness literally means fruitfulness, bearing fruit, that something would grow out of and come out of what's been entrusted to you. Five becomes ten, fruitfulness. Two becomes four. Now, I personally have a financial advisor, and I'm still convinced that it costs him more money to be my financial advisor than he makes off of whatever I can invest through him. But that's neither here nor there. If I entrust money to my financial advisor and he puts it in a savings account that bears no interest because he's scared of me because he's met me face to face and he knows that I could probably beat him up or he's scared of what the repercussions of just of like losing the money might be, like you can bet I'm going to pull that money out and I'm going to go and trust it with a different financial advisor, right? Like you're not going to say, hey, just go bury this. I could have done that myself. I have a backyard I could bury that in. That's how you know I grew up in the country. I could bury my own money in my backyard. I give it to you so that you will steward it, multiply it, use your skills and abilities to help it reach more of a potential than I have the skills or abilities to do. And if my financial advisor is not stewarding that well, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go give it to one who has bared fruit. I'm going to know there's a financial advisor because I'm talking to people that actually gets a return on what's invested through them and I'm going to take it over there. It's going to follow where there's fruitfulness. So why should it surprise us that God wants to place his resources where they will be fruitful? Well, what about me, God? What about me? I always feel like I'm lacking. Well, first of all, do you have the right perspective? Second of all, are you fruitful with what he has entrusted to you? And maybe the fact that you're recognizing these things may be a little bit of conviction that, man, I need to like tighten up a little on how I'm stewarding what God's given to me. And instead of taking that as some punishment, we take that as a blessing that God is gracious enough to reveal to us how we need to alter our directions to be more faithful and fruitful with his resources and how we're using them to extend his kingdom. Amen? So many times we think like, by be, having conviction or by realizing like, man, I need to do better, we just think we failed and we throw the baby out with the bathwater instead of saying, oh no, this is an opportunity by God's grace to make a little tweak and get better. This is a chance to improve, not to quit. And too many times the conviction of the Lord may come upon us through a conversation with somebody else or through the Holy Spirit himself and we just quit and we throw in the towel instead of saying, yeah, you're right, I can do better. And maybe, hey, will you help me do better? And we take steps towards stewarding our resources better. God doesn't give you resources 
so that you will be inactive with them or hoard them out of fear. If we view everything God gives us as, I better hold on to this, okay, so I'm going to lose it and I'm going to be in poverty and I'm going to lose everything. And we just withhold, step on something behind us and we get fearful. Like, what kind of way is that to live? God helps us by providing everything we need for any given moment of what He is calling us to do. Of what He is calling us to do. Prior to getting married and having a responsible, way better manager of resources wife in Bree, I would often be like out of money. And I'm like calculating. I knew that there was an Arco that I could go to and I could fill up on gas and you only needed one dollar because it would hold one dollar on your card. This is how you know I used to be poor. It would only hold a dollar on your card and you could fill up and then you could hope you could get your paycheck in within the next 24 hours so that it would clear. Because I was a horrible manager of money. Was it that God wasn't providing for my needs to drive around? Or was it because I had stuff that God wasn't calling me to have to live the way he was calling me to live? Sometimes your lack is because you have misprioritized things. Oftentimes your lack is because you are taking care of you instead of stewarding things the way God's calling you to steward them. Will we be humble enough to have the right perspective about how we are faithful with what he gives us so that we can actually make changes and get better rather than quitting and demonizing the very conviction that is helping to lead us towards Jesus. We want to make conviction the enemy instead of the compass. Think about that. How many times is conviction like, oh, see, God's mean. He's judging me. Oh gosh, that person told me that I shouldn't be stewarding my resources in that way. It's not because they love you, right? It's because they're the enemy all of a sudden. What if conviction and hard conversations were a compass, not opposition? How much better off would we be in following and pursuing the things of God in our lives? <clears throat> now, if this makes you uncomfortable thinking of you know, God trusting people that are fruitful, trust, wanting to entrust you with his resources, having faithful stewardship over what he's entrusted to you, the answer is not to sterilize the expectations that God has on his people, but rather to respond in faith and encourage to bear fruit with what he's given you. It's not about lowering the bar because, gosh, this is kind of intimidating. This is hard to think about. God's revealed to me or through other people that there's a lot of things maybe I need to change right now. And so you just try to like find out a way to lower the bar instead of saying, hey, I'm going to have faith that God is going to lead me in this. And he's put me in a community of people to help me in this that have gone before me as well. Don't run from these things. Respond to them. Respond well. Bear fruit and see what the Lord will do through what he entrusts you. And then see him multiply what he entrusts to you. That is not a prosperity gospel moment. That is just a fundamental like reality of resources. If you use your time well, it seems that no more time comes out of nowhere. When you're not wasting your time, there's more time to use. If you're not wasting your money, there's more money to use for things that matter. I'm not saying, hey, if you spend $5 on this right now, God's going to make you rich. Like, no, that's not the gospel. But what is the gospel is bear fruit with whatever God entrusts to you and see him extend his kingdom through you in the cities, workplaces, and neighborhoods in which he's placed you. See what he does by your faithfulness to him. 
And just like me, I'm not going to invest with a financial advisor that buries my money in the yard. He's going to invest where there's fruit being buried. God is looking to reward faithfulness over what he's entrusted to us. We need the right perspective and we need to be faithful and bear fruit with what he entrusts to us. And the final point in this is it's okay to expect the miraculous when we're stewarding our resources. Like it's okay to expect and anticipate like miraculous multiplication of things. It's okay to to say like, God, we're, we're believing that whatever comes in in the offering today, you're going to multiply and it's going to do things in this city that we could not do on our own because when your people come together with hearts of generosity, trusting you, you do miracles. You do miracles. With the right perspective and faithfulness, our gifting and abilities and resources in the hands of God are set up for him to move in a mighty way. Set up for him to move in a mighty way. Each servant here had to take a risk. They had to take a risk. Some traded the talents. And they did something with what was in their hands. And they were commended for taking that risk and for it paying off. I don't know about you guys, but if Master comes and gives me some odd number of millions of dollars and I'm out trading it, taking some risks, like I'm going to consider it a miracle that it all worked out because I'm not that smart. But God can do amazing things with our faith and our faithfulness and what he entrusts to us. And we see that with these guys and how they approached what they were entrusted with. Now, the third servant, though, he was afraid and he played it safe and conventional. Bearing money was one of the safest ways to protect it in ancient times. I know it can maybe seem silly to those of you who didn't grow up in the country like me to bury your money, but this was just this was the safest way to make sure that what you had didn't get stolen, that you didn't lose it. And he made excuses to justify his lack of faithfulness. It's like, I know you're a hard man. <laughs> I've heard you you take money where you've not sown seeds. You're, you're a hard man. And I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't on your wrong side. And so I buried it. Here you go. Here's what you gave me. And what's the master's response? Like, I could at least give it to the bankers so I can get the interest that I'm due. Like, what are you thinking? Living a life of generosity has little to do with how much you give away. Rather, it has everything to do with how you view and use what you do have. It's not about the overall amount and that somebody else can give away more money than you. It's about what are you doing with what you do have? If you've been entrusted with $10, what are you doing with that $10? How are you helping extend the kingdom of God? How are you reflecting His graciousness and His provision and His hope with that that you've been given? If you've been given millions of dollars, how are you doing that? How are you reflecting God's hope, grace, love, and His gospel in the world in which He's placed you? It doesn't make one better than the other, it's about how are you faithful with what he does and trust to you. It has everything to do with how you view it, how you use it, how you steward it. And most importantly, in whose hands are you entrusting what he's given to you? Who are you, in, who, who are you placing your trust in with how you steward your resources? Are you putting your trust in your ability to manage your time and your relationships 
and your home and the cleanliness of it before life group or whatever else, whatever other churchy things we talk about, the, you know, houses in the context of, is your hope in you to be able to manage all that? Or are you saying, God, you've given me this anyway? Like, our world's crazy, and I own a home, and I have money to put food on the table, and I have a healthy family. Like, praise you, whatever you want to do, have your way. If someone wants to drop by unannounced, great. It's your house. It's your time. My life is yours anyway. Now, that's not an invite to just drop by whenever you want. It's just an illustration. But how are, who are we trusting with these things? Are we placing it in God's hands and saying, I trust you. Help my heart and my usage and stewardship of the resources in my life. Help it reflect you, your love, your heart the way you want to extend your kingdom and reach people in my city, my neighborhood, and in my family. Who are you placing that trust in? God has put something in each of our hands. He's given each of us something. And just like the servants in the parable, probably all to unequal amounts. But that doesn't negate the responsibility and the accountability that comes along with it. What has he placed in your hands? Perhaps you've been more like the servant who received five talents, or perhaps you've been given less and the servant with one talents. But regardless, we each have something in our hands. Notice that one of the characters in this parable was not the one that God couldn't entrust any talents to. Well, in this other one, he gave no talents to just to see how he'd respond. Like that wasn't part of the story. Each one of them had something that was entrusted to them. Exodus 4 tells a story of Moses' encounter with God just after the burning bush experience. All of, all of us know, I'm sure, of this experience. You've at least seen it in children's stories and some TV show at some point in time. But God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out from under the cruel leadership of Pharaoh into the promised land. And as Moses complains and makes excuses for why he's not the guy for this job, he's not capable, he doesn't have the skill set, God asks him a simple question in Exodus 4 2. He says, What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? What have I given you? What is in your hand? What is the tool that I am going to miraculously use to provide for my mission and my calling on your life? And what this is talking about is God's about to take the ordinary shepherd's staff that's in Moses' hand and use it to fulfill the extraordinary things that he has planned for his leadership and his calling. That staff will go on to be a sign of God's authority, power, and deliverance to the entire nation of Israel and Egypt. A simple staff in his hand that God miraculously uses to show his authority, his power, his deliverance as he brings Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now the staff alone left in the hands of Moses, it's ordinary and it's used to herd sheep and probably help him manage some terrain and some hiking. That's how I'd imagine it. But placed in the hands of God, it produces something miraculous. Something ordinary, producing something miraculous. What ordinary things has God placed in your hand and in your heart that He wants to do something miraculous with? How can you partner with Him, trust in Him, to turn ordinary things into miraculous movements of His provision and His mission in your life. Worship team, you come back up. Similarly, we think about Jesus feeding thousands using 
some boy's school lunch, right? Like a couple loaves and fishes, just some kid's lunch. And he feeds thousands. In the hands of the boy, it's a lunch for a few, but in the hands of Jesus, it provides for and feeds thousands. What is in your hand? Right now, not what you're hoping will be in your hand, but right now, what has God entrusted to you? What is in your hand? In reality, all of us have been unfaithful servants to God at some point in time. None of us have done this perfect. The good news is, He knows we can't do it perfect. That's why He sent Jesus to live the perfect life and die for our sins, see us redeemed to Him as we put our faith in Him. Too many times we're like that third servant. But God provided Jesus to give us the opportunity for a fresh start, for new life in Him for a life of expecting and anticipating, miraculously using the ordinary things in our hands to do supernatural things in the world in which he's placed us. Now there's a lie that we need to renounce and not give any root in our lives. And that lie is that you cannot trust the heart of God, that God is not for you, and therefore you have to take your life into your own hands. See, that's what the world tells you about provision. That's what the world tells you about your resources is you can't trust the heart of God. Have you actually met him face to face? How can you trust him then, right? Like if you, you talk to people that don't know Jesus, you hear all these, all these things, all these quips. And they tell you, you got to take life into your own hands. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to take control of your life. Go get the, the newest self-help book and jump on those trends or whatever it is. But that is just a plain lie. And the truth is this. You can trust the heart of God. He is trustworthy. And if you're willing to take even two minutes and reflect on the last five years of your life, I guarantee you will find plenty of times that he has provided, that he has been faithful, that show that you can trust him. The truth is that God is for you. And if you need an example of that, look at what Jesus did for you. Therefore, you must take your life and place it in his hands instead of white knuckle holding on to everything that you think is under your control. Humans aren't very good at giving up control. And when we try to control our priorities, our resources, our time, our money, our relationships, when we try to leverage which is another word for manipulate, our relationships so that people like us and are happy with us. All we end up doing is letting a lot of people down and leaving a wake of fallout behind us. But when we place all of these things in the hands of God and we trust Him, His heart, and His direction in these areas, He will do supernatural things in our lives and supernatural things through our lives. You see, all of this good news as is with all the Bible, isn't just for us. It's not just so that it sits in us and we get to reap the benefits of all this stuff personally, but it's so that the love of God will flow out of us as well, so that we will testify to his goodness, so that we will share the hope that we have in Jesus, so that we will further his kingdom through testifying and how he's working in our lives. Yes, it's about a work in us, but it's also about a work through us. So the reality of all this, when it comes to 
the right perspective and being faithful and expecting the miraculous is we need to acknowledge that God is the master of all. There's nothing that sits off in some safe that's locked away and God doesn't have access to or where you can like protect certain things so that you have as just like a backup plan. No, it's all his. And that's good news. It's all his. Everything he has created, including us. And an incredible display of his grace and generosity, he has entrusted things to each one of us. He's created us with unique giftings and abilities, and he's given us resources like time and money and relationships. He hasn't wired us all the same. Not all of us are up here playing guitar, just like not all of us are operating cameras or doing the things that are represented in this room. We are all necessary, and we all have different gifts and skills and abilities, and when we collectively entrust that to God, he does amazing things in our midst. Amen? We are all necessary. We are better together when we can trust the God who created all with everything in our lives and then anticipate him moving in a mighty and powerful way. A life of generosity doesn't mean that we just meet some threshold for giving or some threshold for how much time we spend with people that maybe we don't want to spend it with in a given week. It means that we understand our roles as stewards thereby living open-handed, generous towards God and others with our time, our money, and our abilities. It's not about checking something off a list. It's about having a heart posture of being faithful stewards of what God's given to us. Amen. So as we close, I just want to pray for us. And some of us in here, undoubtedly, this is an area that we've been struggling with. We've been trying to white knuckle, hold on to some things, or maybe throughout this message and through hearing that parable, through hearing God's word, there's been some conviction. And I pray that you would receive that as a compass, not opposition. You'd say, God, thank you for showing me that so that I can make a few changes, so that I can be more like you with what you've entrusted to me. And I pray that we as a community will approach this topic from a posture of humility and trust and see what God can do in us and through us. Amen. So, Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you that we get to steward what you entrust to us. God, that we don't earn your love by passing some test, but the way in which we steward is a reflection of your love and your work in our lives. So help us to prioritize what you prioritize, to live a life that reflects the desire to see your kingdom extended wherever you place us. And I pray right now that your grace would flood our hearts as we ponder the areas that we need to be better stewards. As we wrestle through the convictions that may spur up in us through this time, God, I pray your grace and your love would abound. And that you would lead us to conversations with you and with our church family, people in this room, to help us take steps closer and closer to you. And would our lives individually and collectively be noted by those around us as lives of generosity and good stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. So we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.